Hey everybody, welcome back to the Single Tracks podcast. Today we've got a couple bike reviews for you, including the Orbea Occam TR and the Breezer Supercell. And also Aaron shares his tips for selling your mountain bike online. So our first review of the Orbea Occam TR comes from John Fish. John got a chance to ride the Occam TR at Outer Bike a couple weeks ago. And this is his review. I always find it fascinating when I'm reminded of a long-forgotten but very important lesson, even if it doesn't really apply to me at the time. My fourth demo at Outer Bike, an Orbea Occam TR-29er, did exactly that. This bike reminded me of the futility of trying to properly assess a bike by a very brief, nondescript pedal, which is exactly what so many people do when they make a multi-thousand dollar decision as to what mountain bike to buy, based on no more than a few spins around a bike shop parking lot. As I pulled out of the Orbea tent and made my way to the day's shuttle ride, I was underwhelmed. After unloading at the top of Moab's MAG-7 trail system and starting down the trail, I had none of that wonderful feeling I normally get when I mount a great bike. The bike felt a little squirrely and far too unsubstantial for me to throw all the way down the route back to the venue. However, over the course of the next 20 or so miles, I came to appreciate the special virtues of this bike, and it ultimately became one of my all-time favorites and would be my easy choice over so many other bikes that I had felt more instantly comfortable on. Extensions of the logic of Occam's razor, originally put forth by 13th century English philosopher William of Occam, state that all other things being equal, simpler is better, which is the philosophy behind the Occam's design. Certainly making a new single pivot full suspension bike in the era of split infinity, VPP, DW link, and decades after the first horse link is tantamount to deliberately making an inferior product. But not so fast there, Mr. Technology Lover. Upon closer inspection, this is no simple single pivot, but rather a highly refined single pivot with a few unique enhancements, which have it bearing no resemblance to the first generation suspensions, which more often resembled pogo sticks than efficient means of handling rough terrain. As is the first necessity in any viable single pivot design, Orbea has perfectly optimized the location of all pivots to extract maximum performance from this otherwise simple design. More uniquely, the seat stay, while part of a continuous rear triangle, is constructed so as to flex, but without the weight and complexity of a separate pivot, giving the 120mm of suspension the best of both worlds. Orbea also placed all pivots in such a manner that the shock piston will always compress without any pivoting where the shock joins either the front or rear triangles. This eliminates the main source of frame flex on a full suspension bike. We could publish literally hundreds of pages of text debating the merits of various suspension designs in purely objective mechanical terms. We do spend many a page assessing various components and which will work best for any particular application. We could crown a winner based on some set of objective criteria, but that would be as irrelevant as crowning a Super Bowl winner without actually playing the game. The proof may or may not be in the pudding, but it certainly is out on the trail where I actually got more time on the Occam than any other steed during the three days of Outer Bike. I initially expected this to be a rough go for a number of reasons. The bike seems slight, insubstantial, and not fully up to the task of having a 200-pound rider throw it down a shuttle run, even if it was a relatively cross-country oriented shuttle run. The steering was too quick, the tires too narrow, and the choice of a light fox fork with mere 32mm stanchions seemed foolish for an all-day trail bike. It all appeared to be the result of a European manufacturer refusing to shed its race heritage in pursuit of a great trail bike. Either that or it was a classic case of a company trying to make a bike light, even at the expense of every other important trail bike performance category. 
But out on the trail, a funny thing happened. Over the course of the first mile, I began steering the bike with a slightly lighter touch. I pedaled more smoothly. I rode with greater precision, and in doing so, felt that the very rare and elusive sensation of getting into the zone, both with the bike and the terrain. By the time I had covered two miles, I really started to believe in the bike. By the time I had covered three miles, I was giggling at my attainment of trail riding nirvana. Somehow, all those things which were wrong had combined to make something so right. While I would never throw this bike around like I would a true enduro bike, I never felt like it was holding me back. Once more, whenever the trail turned upward, the bike propelled me forward. Not only did I not despair at steep climbs, I looked forward to and actually relished them. The shuttle ride was predominantly downhill and I found myself retracing many sections just for the opportunity to climb them. I did this not to verify the greatness of the bike as a climber for review purposes, but purely for the fun of it. At age 51, it's been a good decade or more since I found joy in the climb, but the Occam brought it back. And it didn't matter if the climb was smooth or technical, the Occam simply killed it. When the slick rock tilted up at an impossible angle, the Occam made it possible. When the trail became a relentlessly ledgy series of step-ups, the Occam took it in stride. That simple single pivot kept the rear wheel in constant contact with the terrain, with no perceptible loss of efficiency. In short, this was easily the best technical climber I've ever ridden, and it sacrifices little in downhill capability to gain this very relevant recognition. The Occam TR comes in a number of build kits from the 2199 Occam TR H50 to the $7,999 Occam TR M Limited, but all come with that wonderful suspension and efficient climbing. The lower level bikes are outfitted with 2x10 drivetrains, while the top level bike carries the XTR 1x11. Given the efficiency and climbability of this bike, I can't imagine wanting a 2x. The simplicity and weight savings of the 1x are essential elements of making this bike the unbelievable wonder that it can be. No granny gear necessary. Similarly, Orbea runs a parallel Occam line called Occam AM with a slightly beefier parts kit including Fox 34 forks along with 27.5 inch wheels versus the 29er wheels on the TR at similar price points comparable to Occam TR models. As versatile as the Occam frame is, this sounds like a good option to have, although I can't help but wonder if taking the Occam and dressing it up in all-mountain garb would dissipate some of the magic of the Occam TR. Over the course of Interbike, I put double-digit miles on eight bikes, all but one of which I truly loved for what they brought to the sport in their own categories. But if I had to put just one in my garage today, the Occam would be, if not the obvious choice, at least one of three finalists. I can't imagine a better bike for either all-day rides that threaten to drain every last bit of energy from your quads, or any ride where not disparaging the climb or even, perish the thought, actually enjoying the climb is a goal. When you think about it, most rides, especially those not covered by lift service, fit one or both of these categories, making the Occam a superb choice for most of us. So switching gears a little bit from buying new bikes and reviewing new bikes, wanted to share a story from Aaron Chamberlain about how to sell your bike online. You've spent months reading reviews online, ridden all kinds of bikes at demo days, and saved your pennies. After much deliberation and fretting, you've finally pulled the trigger on that new bike. To make room, or to make some more funds available, it's time to pawn that old scrap heap off to some unsuspecting sucker. Uh, I mean, it's time to sell your old bike. Here are some tips to make that process as easy as possible. Step one, be realistic about what your bike is worth. All too often I see people setting ridiculous prices for their used bikes. It doesn't matter that your 1999 Cannondale Super V retailed for $2,000 when it was new. And the fact that you recently replaced the grips and chain doesn't change the reality that your bike is old. If your bike was a person, it wouldn't even ride itself. It would be too busy trying to get its driver's license. 
you are never, ever, ever going to get $1,500 for that bike or even $1,000 for that matter. You need to take into account the age of your bike as well as the condition of the frame and its components. If your bike is more than a few years old and has actually been used like a mountain bike should be, you're not going to get very much for it. Just accept that and you'll save yourself a lot of frustration. If you can't get past your beloved Cannondale only being worth a few hundred bucks at most, keep it in your stable, or better yet, give it to someone just getting into the sport. For a rough guide to price your bike, the Bicycle Blue Book is available, although I think their prices are a bit on the high side. Another good resource is to check eBay and see what similar bikes are selling for. Next, you need to get over your bike. You and that Cannondale probably had a bunch of great rides together. It never let you down, except that one time you tacoed the front wheel and had to walk eight miles back to the car. Man, that was a ride. Then there was that summer you totally dominated the local race series. So many podiums, so many memories, and nobody gives a shit. Just because you have an emotional connection with your bike doesn't mean anyone else will. From a buyer's perspective, sentimental value is irrelevant. Soon enough, it won't be your bike anymore. It'll be making new memories with someone else. This is related to my first point, but it needed to be said. Next, you need to be honest about the condition of your bike. One man's tiny ding is another's huge dent, so be transparent about the condition of your bike and components. It's better for you in the long run, especially if you end up selling your bike on eBay. eBay gives the buyer a lot of power and will more than likely side with them if there's any dispute. You could be out your money from the sale as well as the item itself, seriously. When you're getting your bike ready to sell, go over it with a fine tooth comb. Check all the welds, but pay particular attention to the area around the bottom bracket and head tube. Take the rear wheel off and check around the hard to see areas near the dropouts, chain stays, and seat stays. If you're selling a carbon frame, it's still a good idea to check these high stress areas. Whatever the material, if you do discover any cracks, don't sell it. Do the right thing and trash the frame. Next, you're gonna to wanna to take a lot of photos. The best way to showcase the condition of your bike is by taking lots of photos. Your smartphone's camera will suffice as long as you have good light. Please do everyone a favor and look at the pictures before you post them. Nobody wants to see a blurry pic of a derailleur. Digital photos are free, people, take another one. If you wanna get a little fancier, you can stage a little photo shoot for your bike. One last hurrah together before you send it on to its next home. Find a nice place in the woods or at least a clean spot in the basement and go to town. Be sure to highlight any areas where there are scratches, nicks, gouges, etc. Use a coin to show the relative size of any damaged areas. Pro tip, using a shallow depth of field is a good technique for showcasing components. Get photos of the entire bike, drive side facing the camera please, as well as all the components, the fork, shock if applicable, wheels and tires, the cockpit which is the bars, grip, stem, saddle and post, brakes and levers, shifters, derailleurs and cranks. Remember, the more expensive the bike, the more important the photos. While some quick phone snaps will work for that 99 Super V, if you're trying to sell last year's Pivot Mach 6, take the time to dial in your photos. I've even bribed photographer friends with beer to shoot really high-end bikes. Next, give as much detail as possible in your posts. Alright, you've come to grips with the fact that you won't get out of your bike what you put into it. You've inspected all the nooks and crannies, and you've got a memory card full of sick pics. It's time to write a description of your bike. There are numerous ways to go about writing a description from a just-the-facts-ma'am style to humorous. The choice is yours. A thorough description in conjunction with detailed photos will head off a lot of potential questions from buyers. Whatever approach you take, just be sure to include at least the following information. The brand, year, size, price, including whether you'll take best offers or you're open to trades, the condition of the frame, list of the components along with their condition, 
any maintenance that you've recently performed, and also any maintenance that's currently needed. Decide where to post your bike for sale. There's certainly no shortage of options for where to offload your used gear, each with its own downsides. Probably the biggest and most professional option is eBay. Both buyers and sellers are provided with some protections, but eBay is going to take a sizable cut from your sale. Combine that with fees from PayPal and the amount you'll take home will be considerably less than the item's final value. You're also likely going to have to ship the bike, which is a pain in the ass. Even if the buyer is paying for it, you still need to source a box, pack the thing up, and take it to get shipped. Craigslist is free to use and I've generally had good experience selling through their site. You're usually going to be selling to someone local, taking shipping out of the equation. However, you'll probably get a bunch of lowballers or offers for weird trades. It's best to just ignore those emails. Apart from Craigslist and eBay, there are also forums or buy-sell sections on mountain bike websites like Singletracks, local bike clubs, or local Facebook groups. It's best to post on multiple sites so your bike will reach as many potential buyers as possible. Finally, caveat ventador. You've probably heard the Latin phrase caveat emptor, which means buyer beware. The flip side of that is caveat ventador, or seller beware. However you decide to sell your old bike, be smart about it, especially if you're meeting someone face-to-face. -face. Don't meet anyone you don't already know at your home. Instead, choose a public place, even a police station parking lot, to make the transaction. There seems to be a lot of coverage of Craigslist robberies recently where the seller shows up to meet the buyer and ends up getting robbed. And don't let anyone test ride the bike unless you got the cash in your hand. They may just keep test riding your bike right down the road. If you're getting a weird vibe from someone, like an email at 2am saying they want to come check the bike out now, trust your instincts and politely decline. Or better yet, just ignore them. Selling anything online can be an involved process, but it doesn't have to be painful. Set a realistic price, be truthful about the condition, take great photos, post that thing everywhere, and wait for the cash to come rolling in. So I'm sure our, our readers have a lot of interesting stories about selling bikes online, and we're definitely excited to read about those and possibly share some of those in an upcoming podcast. Finally, we have John Fish's review of the Breezer Supercell, and this one was also from Outer Bike a couple weeks ago. Have you ever met someone you were instantly completely comfortable with? From the first exchange, you simply fit well with them. It's not the fiery passion of love at first sight, which inevitably burns out after a brief honeymoon period, but the more comfortable hand-in-glove fit that announces that both today and for years to come, you'll be matched, and that even as you grow, your friend will grow with you, and that many indescribably good times will happen along the way. I'm convinced the Breezer Supercell can be the mountain bike version of such a partner, and not just for me, but for a very wide swath of the mountain biking public. It is a marvelous everyman's bike, but in no way average, having a lively and inspiring personality. Anybody familiar with the history of mountain biking knows about Breezer Bikes and the exploits of its founder, Joe Breeze. Paying homage to his legacy, Breezer has entered the most popular 27.5 trail bike segment with the heritage name Repack. The Supercell, on the other hand, aims for a similar market but with a 29-inch platform. The unassuming Breezer frame is traditional aluminum and eschews other contemporary elements, such as internal cable routing, but employs the unique M-Link suspension system, which places the lower pivot midway through the length of the chainstay. The rest of my Supercell carried a combination of mostly high-end parts, including a SRAM X01 drivetrain, Kashima-coated Fox suspension front and rear, and a very nice DT Swiss 350 wheelset, all of which perfectly suited the bike's personality and purpose. Supercell options range from the $2,600 Supercell Expert to the $4,999 Supercell Limited. 
I was fortunate enough to put the Supercell Limited under my own bum. We often hear a claim that a bike has neutral geometry, meaning that it is not too slack and it's not too steep and or naturally places the rider in a neutral position. This is generally considered the best option for riders not pursuing a very specific riding style and is the goal of most trail bikes. While Breezer didn't specifically use this terminology, I found the Supercell to be the best possible example of this. The Supercell's 610mm top tube in the size large frame and 70 degree head angle put it right in the middle of 29er trail bikes. However, there's more to bike design than merely lining up the right lengths and angles, and far too many bikes that simply rely on the numbers end up being rather generic feeling and uninspiring overall. I can definitely say that was not the case with the Supercell, which practically begged me not to turn it in, even though I still had the task of reviewing more bikes to tend to. It's easy to get forward on this bike and have a nice efficient climb, although the aluminum frame isn't quite as light or efficient as the lightest, stiffest carbon frames. What it is, though, is reliable, predictable, and comfortable. The bike makes no complaint when sent upward and delivers the rider no unwanted surprises or quirks. It may not launch the rider up a slope like a serious cross-country bike, but it does allow the rider to relax and enjoy the ride on the way up, saving both physical and mental energy for the downhills, which is most appreciated. When the trail turns down, the bike shifts from that reliable old friend to that sexy, exciting partner who's always ready to spice up the relationship and keep it fresh. The fun factor is pretty much off the hook when the downhill arrives, as the combination of big wheels, supple but efficient suspension, and exceptionally well-designed geometry combine to place the rider in the best possible position for ripping anything grom smooth to black diamond descents. It was very interesting riding the Breezer Supercell back to back with the Orbea Occam, as both bikes sit in exactly the same category as 120mm 29er trail bikes. As great as the Occam was as a climber, the Supercell was as a descender. I also found myself looking for opportunities to huck the Supercell like I would any 27.5 or even 26 inch trail bike. It was phenomenally well balanced and reassuring when leaving and returning to Mother Earth. If there's such a thing as an enduro worthy 29er, this would be it. As good as the climbing was and as outstanding as the descending was, the most amazing part of the Supercell's performance was its maneuverability. If early 29ers had bobbed and weaved with the combination of smooth confidence and quick efficiency as a supercell, there would never have been a need for anyone to develop the 27.5, at least in the trail bike category. Again here, the supercell somehow manages to simultaneously achieve both calm stability and a high excitement factor. Despite wanting to demo as many bikes as possible, I hung on to the supercell for an extra couple laps, just so I could continue to enjoy its seemingly contradictory but rather complimentary array of virtues. Is there anybody who wouldn't like the Supercell? I suppose a Seattle Seahawk fan may balk at the distinctly San Francisco 49er red and gold color scheme, but other than that, no. I find it hard to believe anyone wouldn't be happy with this bike. There are some bikes I think of as good choices for the rider who could only have one bike. There are others I think are best as part of a well-rounded quiver. The Supercell is the first bike I think of as fitting well in both situations. It is certainly as close to a one-bike quiver as you can hope to find, and it even comes in at a relatively reasonable price points. But even for the rider who has a separate bike for each special purpose, the addition of a great do-it-all just for the fun of it bike is always welcome. The Supercell's perfectly neutral feel should appeal to the broadest range of riding styles and body types all the while delivering an anything but generic experience. Breezer is not a huge brand with outlets everywhere, there are bike stores, but if you're in the market for a good all-round trail bike, 
you owe it to yourself to seek out one as part of your bike hunt. And that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for the Single Tracks podcast. Peace.